0: Hey guys, it's meteorologist and producer for the Weather Lounge, Michael Prianti. I just wanted to jump in here real quick. The episode you are about to listen was recorded last year. We spoke with Phil Harwood from the Snowfighters Institute who had a lot of great things and insightful tips to give about how to better your business in the snow and ice industry. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. <music>
1: This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I would like to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to our podcast about weather. The Weather Lounge is located in Hackettstown, New Jersey, where you will also find Weatherworks. We're a private forecasting company, and our services stretch across the United States. And if you can give us a review about the Weather Lounge and uh, any maybe future topics you would like for us to chat about. And as always, of course, joining me here in the Weather Lounge is my groovy co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey there, Brad. Groovy is getting a little bit Come on. Let's throw it out to the 70s and the 80s.
1: (laughs) I guess. Um, But uh, yeah, Brad, I... We might have to talk a little bit about these uh, things you've been describing me as. groovy. <laughs> okay. Funky. That's another one. All right. That's fine. So, yeah, Brad, I mean, another podcast here, and we have another great guest. I think this might be the first time we have a returning guest. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we have our first return guest. His name is Phil Harwood. He uh, joined us here in the Weather Lounge back in March. And uh, we didn't really get a chance to cover all the topics that we wanted to talk about. So we are uh, going to have him back here in the Weather Lounge today. Yeah,
1: sounds good. And Snow and Ice Contractors, this one's for you because with Phil back uh, in our podcast here, we're going to finish our discussion. We started it back in March talking about education and training in the snow and ice industry. But now um, we're going to get more into the nitty gritty of uh, how to use your snowfall data uh from wherever you may find it whether it's weatherworks or somewhere else um how to use that data to actually make those contracts and how it's going to help you in the long run uh, make a competitive contract too um so phil is uh you know he represents three companies the snowfighters institute uh grow the bench and also promotion consulting so and he has a lot of experience in his arsenal uh to talk about these topics so Let's just go to a quick break, Brad. And then after that, we'll bring in Phil. So don't go away. Heads up, it's time to renew your subscription for certified snowfall totals. Don't get left behind with unreliable information. Get the facts with WeatherWorks. We take pride in the accuracy of our post-storm snow and ice totals, and we'll always provide you with the weather details that matter most. Don't wait for the first winter storm. Renew now and get ahead of the pack. Visit CertifiedSnowfallTotals.com today or call us at 908-850-8600.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Weather Lounge. And again, we have a return guest today. His name is Phil Harwood. He is originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan and worked in retail management for 10 years for a national garden center chain. From there, he shifted to management and ownership of two landscape and snow contracting companies for 15 years and then he began his consulting career in 2007. So without further ado, let's uh, reintroduce my friend and yours, Phil Harwood. Welcome back, Phil.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, we had so much info to get to in March and uh, we didn't want to continue the podcast uh, too much longer and we just had to have you back and then we got to finish up uh, where we started, I think.
2: Yeah, we started to talk a little bit about estimating and sales, and you right. know, certainly we could talk for hours and hours on this, <laughs> uh, days, in fact. So uh, really, I'm really glad and uh, honored to be invited back to explore this topic in a little bit more detail.
0: Yeah, anything else you want to add to, uh, I guess, your, uh, your history? And, and I'll tell you, I mean, you've, you've gone through all the gamuts of not only consulting, but you know, you know running different companies and managing, it's just, it all kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, it, it does. Yeah. And when I look back over, you know, my career, I certainly couldn't have predicted in the beginning what I was going to be doing, you know, even as a college student, you know, you always think, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, but looking back on it, you can see all the connections. And, you know, I think there is, there's some common threads there that run through all those different um, parts of my career. And, And I grew up in a family business, so I've I've always been someone who has enjoyed working, um, really cared a lot about the people I work with and the organizational culture. That's always mattered a lot to me. And I think that was a strong motivation to get into consulting to really help people. And I'm really now starting to really help companies uh, transition their ownership to the next generation or to sell and get out and retire. And obviously, we have an aging population. We have lots of owners who are in their 60s or 70s and they're wanting to travel and spend time with grandchildren and um, looking for ways to exit. And so, I'm really starting to focus more heavily on that while still really investing a lot in um, not only my own consulting business, but Grow the Bench and uh, now the Snow Fighters Institute since uh, Neil Galat and I acquired that business from the founder, John Allen. Um, almost two years ago now.
0: Yeah, and, and and I think I remember you took over. That was your first endeavor, kind of, wasn't it? You took over a company from. I can Was it John Allen? I can't remember. Well,
2: Snowfighters Institute, in particular, was founded by John Allen. Um, okay, and and so we acquired that business in in the beginning of 2020, not knowing there was going to be a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that was a pretty interesting time to acquire a business that was based on in-person training. Um, but we made it through 2020. We did some online things. We had some workshops and we started a podcast. Um, so shameless plug for Snow Fighters Institute podcast. Love to have you sign up for that as well. But no, it's been a good ride. And, you know, I really love the snow industry and I love the people in it. So always happy to talk about snow.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the whole pandemic did uh, open doors to things that I think companies never even would have thought of trying um, before and I think we might have mentioned that before um but uh you know now that we are set up with all these fun new technology uh gadgets and podcasts and things like that it, it's it's good uh, that we have that in our arsenal um but Phil let's let's bring it around um to snow and ice some more um you know a lot of our clients are 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 starting to work on some contracts and things for the upcoming winter but now let's get a sense of where we are in the snow selling season. Um, you know, we're getting late in summer here. Um, you know, did this start months ago? Uh, this whole process, or or is it just starting now? How how does that work?
2: Well, so there's been a transition, and it actually it's a really healthy transition toward um, signing contracts on more of a off-season basis. So so I'll walk you through this. Uh be started before I started my consulting business, which has been 13 years now. Um we when I was running a, a big landscape and snow business, we always prided ourselves that we started having snow meetings on you know immediately after 4th of July. So like early July, we thought we were the greatest thing in in the world because we were on top of it, you know. And um you know, today if you started thinking about snow on on the Fourth of July, you're way behind the eight ball because there's contracts already being signed because That's a lot incredible. of yeah because a lot of the the forward thinking property managers and owners they want snow contracts signed in the spring. Um, you know, if you think about just the natural progression of things, right? So, as a snow contractor, you're providing your service in the winter. After the winter ends, your your the contract service period ends naturally as you move into spring in most markets. And then you have a time of assessment where you just think about, well, how do we do? How'd the season go? And and you really want some time of reflection and analysis. You want to look at the profit margins of the accounts. You want to kind of think about the relationship and you need a little bit of time to work on those things. And honestly, the customers do as well. Um, and so kind of best uh, optimal scenario would be you come out of the spring, you have a little bit of time to do that analysis and and really assess what's going on here with this property and then you move right into a renewal window and and get the contract renewed. So that's probably you know mid mid spring, late spring at the latest in that scenario where you're done. So if someone's rolling out mid July or late July or beginning of August contacting someone who, you know, is on that time frame you know you've missed you've missed it you have to wait till next year and if they signed a 3 year contract now you're 3 years out
0: so yeah you should better have those contracts pretty much in order uh, before the last big snow pile melts almost <laughs> yeah and <laughs> the, the, like.
2: the challenge with that is you know a lot of times you know we really want to update our contracts and our contract language and things and so there's you know with those customers that want the immediate renewal at the end of the spring at the end of the winter early spring sometimes there's not time to get that into that cycle but but the nice thing about more and more property managers moving that decision making time frame from late in the you know late in the fall, right at crunch time. It just spreads out the whole selling cycle. So so you really have to think about sales now from a 12month perspective. There's probably always something from a snow selling perspective to do throughout the year. And I think that's true of the entire snow business. It's really a year-round business now. There are activities for every, every month. That really need to be attended to, and the in the contractors who forget about snow for four months or five months or six months really be, get behind the eight ball. And that's especially true this year with with equipment because the equipment is so hard to come by. So you know, contractors that are just now starting to think about equipment probably that's great for next year, but not for this coming winter. So uh, again, I know you asked about sales. <laughs> so where are we in the selling process? So, well, well. Some contracts have already been signed. Some are in the process right now. Um, There's still lots of companies that wait and don't sign contracts, don't even talk about snow until the fall. And that's fine. We're always going to have those for different reasons. But uh, I think it's really healthy that it's being spread out because it just takes all that pressure off everything being signed in the fall.
1: Yeah, I think that's important. Um, like you're saying, how you're, you're spreading out that sales process more because, I mean, that happens with a lot of things. I mean, I'm even thinking back to um, us here at WeatherWorks. Um, you know, we talk about our products from our uh, certified snowfall totals to our storm alerts. And once that winter's over, we're already doing, you know, surveys on staff and clients and seeing where we can improve, um, seeing where, you know, we can take that product because we need to know that information so that we can work on it all summer and be ready for the next snow season. So uh, it, it's it's definitely a year-long year process uh, for us, the same way it is for the snow contractors. Now, I just wanted to bring it back once, one time here, um, Phil, you said about um, equipment uh, being hard to come by uh, right now. And now, what are you exactly talking about there? Are you talking about, you know, your plows or your trucks? Because I know there's a shortage with new vehicles um that happen is happening too. Um is that what you're alluding to?
2: Yeah, I just globally in the supply chain, there's there's shortage of raw materials. So steel uh is hard to come by, components are hard to come by. All all of all manufacturing took a big hit last year and is just trying to catch up. So if you've If you read, you know, business journals, you've read about supply chain problems, you, you know, if you're trying to get a container off a ship in Long Beach, California, it's sitting there for months, months before anyone's taken that container off that ship. So, you know, if you need parts that are coming from some foreign land, (laughs) good luck. And, And so, you know, there are certainly manufacturers that manufacture things here in the States, but you know, we're in a global economy. Everything's connected and everything got behind and everyone's trying to catch up. So it's a very difficult scenario.
0: What about staffing right now? Uh, Phil, have you had any hardships with that just with the whole, you know, we, under, you know, we know that the workforce across the U S is it's, it's it, there's jobs available everywhere. I mean, it is and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of businesses that aren't able to fulfill their entire staffing. Um, Is that going to have a, is that going to be an issue you think going into this upcoming winter for anyone or even you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and that's probably our third podcast.
0: Well, hopefully it's not an issue. Uh, hopefully it's not an issue in a couple but, of months.
2: <laughs> um, just just my briefly, my, my two cents on this. Yeah, is, without
0: bringing politics involved, we all know there's a work shortage. No, no, no. Yeah.
2: There's, there are demographic realities that are happening. I talked about the aging population. We have, an, we have an aging population. People are getting older. There's not too many 60 and 70 year olds who want to, you know, operate a skid steer and go plow snow. Now there are some and they're really cool, <laughs> but um, there's not many. And so, um, you know, and and I think just in in our educational system, I think we, you know, there's been a lot of work in this area, and I think, but there's a lot more to do to really uh, value trades over, you know, going to going to college and getting a degree in basket weaving, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars in debt, you know. So, um, you know, I think I think there's there those are those are some significant demographic trends that are are not in our favor. And I think, you know, and then you you pile on, you know, COVID and um, immigration and you're getting into, you know, legislation and, you know, um, things like that. So there's just a lot going against us there. Um, There are contractors that are doing a great job, you know, creating great cultures and really um, doing all the things you need to be recruiting year round now. And you can't just do one thing. You, you have to do 10 things. And so, you know, if, you know, it used to be recruiting was really easy. Now it's not. It's year round. It's 10 things. It's culture. It's understanding the generational changes from your generation, my generation. There's a different mindset now with uh, an employee. And if you don't appreciate that and understand that and speak to that mindset, you're going to miss the mark. And what's going to happen is you're just going to blow through people and you're just going to say, well, you know, none of these people are any good. Well, OK. All right. Good luck. <laughs>
1: yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sound like an answer that's going to be very. Uh, so that's my two cents. Hiring. Yeah.
2: On on, re- yeah. on labor.
1: So um, let's uh, re uh, back up and uh, let's go into the. Um, back into the snow uh, contract process here. Um, now you mentioned that a lot of, um, a lot of companies might wait until the fall before they start making decisions on what they're going to do and even property managers and owners. Um, so why is this, why does this happen? Why does it get put off until the fall and not done in late spring, like in your ideal world?
2: Yeah. I think the, the most obvious reason is, um, or the most common reason is that that's just the way they've always done it. And no one's given them a good reason to change. So I think that's an opportunity for us as professionals in our industry to really talk uh, with our clients and prospects about the benefits of not just for us, but for them, the benefits of moving away from fall and especially late fall um, and moving toward multi-year contracts. So um you know there are just lots of benefits from reduced administrative burden to reduce, reducing the learning curve, fewer mistakes, a lot more reliability and consistency. But also benefiting the contractor by or benefiting the customer. Um, it, it some of the benefits to the contractor benefit the customer. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> for example. You sign a contract with me early enough. I can procure equipment. I can dedicate people to your site. I can build routes around you. I can, I can make sure you're taken care of. If you're the last customer that I, I sign up in the fall, you know I'm probably I'm trying to jam you in somewhere. I'm I'm putting duct tape and you know what I mean on this thing. Like I'm I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to tell you I'm going to do a great job. But you know I. If you would have signed that contract three months ago, I could have really taken care of you in a whole different way. So that's a that's a true statement. But most of our customers don't understand that. So just the but then I think you know there's there's in my experience there's lots of properties that um, sometimes property managers these big property management firms they get overlooked because they reassign properties between property managers or they bring on new properties and. Their Excel spreadsheets aren't up to date. And so sometimes they don't even know what they have or what they don't have. And so, you know, we, we ran into that a lot where we'd get all these last minute properties because the customer didn't even know they existed or they didn't realize they weren't on someone's list. So that happens. And then just internal politics. You know, if if something is the way it is, it's built into their internal um, procedures their internal timeframes and calendars with all the other things that they have to do and report, and you're asking them to make a significant change, that can be very difficult to do because there's so many people involved with making a big change like that, especially in a big management company. But it, it can be done. I've seen it happen. But it begins with helping them understand why that's important to them. So I I would I think that's a fight, fight worth having. Um, because if nothing else, you can help them understand that because you are the latest person I signed up. Don't come to me and talk to me about. Um, <laughs> I don't want to hear all your little pet peeves because you know I'm I'm taking care of the person that you know signed my contract back in May.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't even have thought of that aspect of everything, um, but. You know, I want to bring it around to here at WeatherWorks, you know, we like to produce, um, you know, snow climatologies or something we call Snotistics, where we provide a lot of um, seasonal data, a lot of event data and things like that for people who are trying to get their snow contracts in order. And I know we talked a little bit about, you know, in the past, but we didn't really go into depth of you know why this weather data is so important in your sales process. So maybe you could help us uh, go through the connection here uh, between that data and how you utilize that.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's several pieces to this. So so we're gonna have to spend a few minutes going through talking about different contract types and probabilities and some of the other statistical, you know, um, components of weather data that you're referring to. But just, I just wanna, I guess my first thought was the the reality here when it comes to weather and risk and contract types when it in for snow and ice management is that most property managers really are not that aware or educated about snow and ice management. Um and it that shouldn't be a surprise to us, um, because why would they be? You know, they're not they're not contractors, they're not expected to be experts in snow and ice management. In, in the same way that they're probably not. Master electricians or master plumbers or, you know how to re- how to tear apart an HVAC system like they have people for that right they have contractors who have that expertise so at best they're generalists they have general knowledge of things but but if they're newer they probably don't even have that so so we really have a great opportunity to educate them and people love talking about weather so when you when you bring Weather data, especially if it pertains to their budget, and I'll help you see how this pertains to their budget. Um, they love talking about weather statistics, and in some of those reports that you guys produce are phenomenal. You know, just it, as an aside, you know, we just uh, we've had two snowfighters events, and you guys have provided uh, weather st- statistic reports. Um, I'm sorry, what's the what's the brand name? Snowtistics. statistics I love that. I love that snow It just wasn't <laughs> on the top of my tongue but I That's you, guys, okay. you guys provided snow reports for all of our attendees and and you you should have seen how people lit up when they saw their zip code and their data. they just they just love it. Um, so thank you for that but um, yeah, no problem anytime. But customers they really love seeing this data because it's it's historical, it's accurate. And as soon as they realize, oh, this affects my contract, this affects my risk, this affects my budget, then they're really interested. But we have to bring that to them. We have to educate them. And so so I think there's, there's a, we, we have to be aware first, I guess this is my first answer to that most, cost, most property managers, most of our customers don't know much about this at all. And some of our contractors don't know all that much about all those connections. So we re- we really have to start with ourselves. We need to become educated so that we can educate our, our customers about about how important weather data is and all of this. That's my first thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that sounds incredibly important. And uh, if you want to say Snowtistics one more time, that would be awesome because let's just <laughs> keep plugging that brand you, you name. You just did. <laughs> uh, so...
2: Um, well let me take the next piece of it um so you were gonna ask me i'm'm yeah, I'm, I'm gonna i'm just gonna go for it because I know and so the next piece of this is is uh probability that's what this r- really centers on that's like the linchpin of all this so you know probability is is that's a big word so what does that mean That's the likelihood that something will happen. so if I flip a coin, what are the odds it's gonna land on heads or tails? Well, it's 50-50, right? Um, Let's talk about a snow scenario. I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan right now. 74.9 inches is our average snowfall. Um, But our highest snowfall recorded, since we've been keeping records here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, was 143.7 inches. That was in 2008, okay? So what's the likelihood that this coming winter we're going to have more than 143.7 inches it's not very good
1: yeah pretty low it's very low yeah
2: is it zero it's probably not zero statistically i mean it could happen we could we could have another record right i guess there's always another record but the odds are we're not going to be above 143 inches okay that'd be a very very unlikely scenario What are the odds that we're going to be at 74.9 inches or higher? Is that 50%? Probably 50-50, yeah. Yeah, it's probably 50-50. You know, we can argue about, you know, average versus median and all that stuff. But, you know, I mean, roughly, if you just say, well, half the snows are going to be above 75 inches and half are going to be below 75 inches. Okay, well, that's interesting. What about a 60% probability or 70% or an 80%? Let's say here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't know if this is true or not. I didn't run the numbers, but let's say an eighty percent probability is hundred inches. Well, that's that. That would be a really important thing to have a conversation with a client about, especially if we're building a snow contract with a cap at eighty inches, where we would be able to say to this customer, "There's an eighty percent chance, based on all this awesome weather data that I'm showing you here from WeatherWorks, um, that." This winter coming up, right, this winter right here, is going to be 100 inches or less, 80% chance. There's only a 20% probability we're going to go over 100 inches. Statistically, that's a statistical fact. No, I have no idea. It might be 150 inches. We might have three inches. I have no idea. No idea what the actual is going to be. We're not talking about actual. We're talking about probability. But that number right there, those are extremely valuable numbers. And so to be able to talk about 80% probability, 70% probability, 60% probability, especially when they're related to caps, we can have intelligent conversations about pricing. We can have intelligent conversations about risk because wherever you put that number, there's risk. No matter what your contract says, no matter what your form of contract is, somebody has risk. But to, does everyone understand, everyone sitting around the table understand exactly who has what risk and how much risk? If they don't, you're not communicating it to them because there's no reason they shouldn't know. All the information's there, all the numbers are there. What you have to do as a contractor is understand how to explain that to a customer. And then you can have an intelligent conversation about the different contract options and how to reduce the risk that's important to them because there's different, there's different levels of risk. And if they're not aware of what they are, they can't make an intelligent decision and neither can you.
0: Now, now do, you, do you ever bring up the fact that, all right, let's say there's 75 inches now, does that happen? Do you, is it skewed because maybe you got a two-foot storm and then a bunch of four-inch storms? I mean, does the event number ever dictate Certain things on the content, I'm, I'm sure it does. Uh, but you know, do you get that 75 inches is what I'm saying between 10, 15 events, or is it 30 smaller events or something like
2: that? Yeah. So the event data by increment. So if we said, you know, if we did two inch increments and we said, well, how many events do we have for a two to four, four to six, six to eight, all that, right? That's what you're talking about. Um, that is certainly going to factor in when we're doing seasonal pricing, and we and we can show that to a customer and explain to them how the math works behind the scenes. I think that's cool. Especially if you have a engineering type customer who's really hands-on. And That's where our certified
0: snowfall totals come in too, because it'll show the event number versus how much fell. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So we need all that data to build the seasonal price. So that's baked into the total price. But I think, I think that's probably, unless you have an, a very, um, like I said, a detail-oriented customer, they're probably not going to want to drop down to that level. They're probably going to want to talk about seasonal numbers, total numbers for the season. And and then what you're going to show them is different prices based on that. Right Now, if you're giving them per event prices, that's a different thing. But the number of events per increment, that's going to go into that seasonal price.
1: Right. I, I like how you were explaining probability earlier. Uh, with the seasonal totals, because I mean, probability sometimes is a hard, you know, concept to understand. You know, a lot of people want deterministic stuff; they want to know black or white. You know, what's going to happen? I mean, obviously, we deal with this all the time, uh, being meteorologists. Um, so it's interesting that you talked about probability, but I could see where that's going and the usefulness. If you have that data in hand as a contractor showing a potential client, you know that's a lot of that's a lot of power there That's a lot of leverage you have like you know look i'm being straightforward this is what the truth is about your site you know this is how much snow does fall and i could see the correlation even with our you know when we do our seasonal outlooks if we're going say hey we probably gonna be heading towards an above average winter then maybe you can lean you know, those contracts towards those higher numbers, you know, and and you can move it around that way. Um, it's really, you're giving me a lot of insight here on how this process works, which I like, and I'm sure our listeners like too.
2: Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and you know, I think the, where a lot of contractors get kind of stuck in their mind is they, they simplify that they oversimplify this whole risk reward trade-off thing with, with weather and contract types and they think, well, there's, there's, first of all, they say everything, everything evens out over a period of time. So, you know, I have heard this thousands of times, you know, over a three-year period, everything goes back to the average. Okay. Well, you you know, most of the time it does, but that's fine. But, but when it comes to cash flow, can you survive (laughs) those imbalances? (laughs) Let's talk about your, your bank account. That's a different story. Um, you know, we need to think about risk from two perspectives. There's the risk of the contract to the contractor, and then there's the risk to the client. And they're usually inverse relationships, and and that's where people oversimplify this. So, so they think, okay, if I see there's no contract, obviously if it's a heavy winter, uh, you know, the customer is going to get a huge benefit because they're paying a flat fee. Uh, you know, contractor is going to have, you know, they're they're going to get hurt right? If it's a huge, if 150 inches here in Grand Rapids, seasonal contract, I'm going to get hurt, no cap. Um, And just the inverse is true on a light winter, right? And then if we have a per event, any type of per event, per inch, per whatever, doesn't matter, fill in the blank, per something. Um, If we have a light winter, the contractor is out of business because they have no revenue. If we have a heavy winter, the customer blew their budget and they get fired, right? Because, you know, so so those are the two extremes, right? So, and everyone says, well, it's just the way it is, you know, it all works it out in the end. But, you know, and, and that was good logic 30 years ago, but th- that doesn't make any sense anymore because there's there's way more, <laughs> there's way more, um, uh, there's there's much more data available about risk and like all this cool weather data. We can easily go to a customer and explain to them, there's no reason to have all this risk. There's no reason for you to take on that risk uh, of e- on either side. There's no reason for us as a contractor to take all this risk on. And that's where you can start bringing in contracts with caps and floors or per current contracts with retainers. We can show all the math and we can show the impact on the risk and how many inches we are exposed and why you're paying what you're paying. So, now we have real numbers, we have real data based on real weather history. The math is right in front of their face, and they can understand it. And that's a much healthier scenario. If I'm bidding against someone who has an unlimited seasonal price, I can crush them because I can reduce my seasonal price with a cap. Now, you might say, well, the customer won't accept a cap. Well, that's because they don't understand it. And they don't understand how it benefits them. They will accept it when they understand how it benefits them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you're talking about all this. I mean, I feel like that the whole scenario of, um, this is how it's always been. Um, this is how we've always done it. And it evens out in the end, that sounds like a terrible answer. And if I were trying to Say somebody was bidding something to me and said something to that effect to me. Well, guess what? I'm going down the road and I'm going to talk to uh, XYZ contractor over here um, because they have more data to support what they're trying to you know sell me for my contract. So, um, yeah, uh, I would not want to hear this is how it's always been sort of thing.
2: Well, I think it's an excuse. You know, and it it it's, it gives someone the license to not become educated, not put in all that extra work to really be able to equip themselves to go have this type of conversation with a client. Because there's a there's a learning curve there. If if someone's listening to the podcast and they're right now they're they're scratching their head, going, "I have no idea what this guy's talking about." <laughs> like you know, there's a learning curve to to really wrap your head around this. And, and, you know, get your hands on at your accurate weather data to begin with to really understand these probabilities, really understand different contract scenarios and, and start doing some, you know, some pro forma hypotheticals and looking at pricing and then and then really testing it with your client base and saying, you know, are my clients going to accept these contract forms and listening to them because you might have to do some tweaking, some adjusting, but. That's what I like about all. This is all math. It's all math, and it's all you know statistics. So there's no, there's an art to selling, but it's really nice to have something concrete that you can hold on to when you're in a, a selling situation.
1: So let me ask you this, Phil. Um, If I were a contractor and I just at a loss for where to start as far as making my contracts, where would I go to get educated on how to make contracts and, you know, that sort of thing.
2: Well, with risk of sounding like I'm promoting my own companies, I'm going to promote Snowfighters Institute because we have events that are designed specifically for this. And and we have some incredible information at Grow the Bench as well. But but I think, you know, um, a a larger answer that's not um, (laughs) self-serving would be to join a peer group. Really get involved in the industry. If you're not attending industry events, not going to trade shows, not sitting in roundtable meetings, not plugging in. There's so much support out there. There's so many people that are willing to share what they have. You just have to get connected to them. And so these industry events, industry associations are a great place to meet people and network. Um, And that's why I love these Snowfighter events. They're networking events and people connect and trade stories and share data and and I've never seen so many people be so willing to share as I have in the snow industry I mean it's incredible like yeah you want my contracts here they are you want my estimating templates here they are like it's crazy um i i just you just got to get connected
1: so uh Phil you talked about um some contracts you talked about like a little bit about per inch contracts you talked about seasonal contracts Um, so if we compared those two, what are, what are kind of the, the pitfalls in each one of those, um, you know, what's the pros, what's the cons of those types of contracts?
2: Yeah, the, um, you know, really it comes down to that, that extreme, the extremes, you want to take the extremes off, off both of those types of contracts. So, so with seasonal contracts, the best Seasonal contract is a limited seasonal contract that has a cap in it and it also has a floor. So there's a give back on the low end because now we have a defined range that's a fixed price and the customer understands that. So if you're at 80% as a probability is the high end and 20 on the low end, the customer's flat fee within that range, they're understanding that, hey, I'm protected in a huge percentage of the probability for the upcoming winter, if we have if we go past past that threshold, I'm going to pay a little bit more, and I should. And your as a contractor, your expenses are going to be much higher because you're going to have a lot more material usage. Your labor is going to be higher. You're going to have more wear and tear in your vehicles. Gas is expensive. So, you know, if we start getting into a super heavy winter here in Grand Rapids, if we start getting into you know, over 100 inches, 120, 130 inches, and you're a contractor here in Grand Rapids, your expenses are, what you know, double what they would have been in a normal winter. So is it fair that the customer should pay a little bit more? Of course it is. That's only reasonable. And the nice thing about that is then you can bring down that seasonal price for that customer because you're taking off the risk at the high end above the cap. And so um, I really like that contract form. And then, you know, a lot of customers don't, you want to talk about any type of fixed price seasonal contracts they want per event contracts. So build in a retainer. And I think there's an easy story there to, to tell because you have a huge investment as a contractor. You've, you've been to trade shows all summer. You've bought equipment. You've bought materials way in advance of the season. You've hired people. You've trained them you've uh repainted equipment, you've moved equipment around, you've made a massive investment just to get ready to take care of the customer. And if it never snows, the customer shouldn't pay you for any of that? You're on you've you've spent thou, tens of thousands of dollars to equip yourself to be ready for the customer. And and now you're on standby. Now you're ready for the snow. You're you're not sleeping. You're up all night waiting for it to snow. The customer should pay something for that. You have lease payments. You're you're making payments on your equipment. You're making payments on that salt, or you your bank account's gone. Your your this is just, the retainer you're talking yeah, about. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And you can just bill you can just bill against the retainer as as a current. But if it never snowed, or if we had that super light winter, there should be some baseline payment that's that's paying your paying that contractor for being on call you know i love the comparison of the fire department right so the fire department's always there they're they're in the the guys are in the firehouse ready to go and we pay for that in our taxes even if it never we never have a fire we're happy to pay for it because when we do have an event they're there it's the exact same thing and i think more and more snow contractors are seeing themselves as emergency personnel and and i just love that correlation there so is that how you go
1: about explaining to the client of if there's no snow is that because i'm i'm looking at it so say i have a property that i need serviced and then this guy's telling me that, well, if it doesn't snow all year, I still have to pay him, and I'm looking at that going, wow, what do I got to pay him for you know <laughs> that sort of thing yeah, so, so is that what so you have to doing? walk them
2: through it you have to explain right. to them the level of investment that you're making I'm not saying you have to show them your p l, but um, you know, I think a reasonable customer would understand there's a massive investment that a contractor is making on their behalf that They're responsible for paying for, even if it doesn't snow, because they're benefiting from that. There's a material benefit to that client, even if it doesn't snow, because you're basically, you're an insurance policy at that point. And insurance policies are not free. You pay for insurance. So if if there's a material benefit that they're not willing to pay for, you're talking to the wrong customer. You need to pack up your stuff and leave
1: yeah that makes a whole lot of sense, especially when you bring in the insurance analogy too, because obviously you're paying for car insurance on your car uh you may never have an accident, but if you do, you're really going to want that insurance to pay the you know three thousand five thousand dollars or whatever it is to to fix your vehicle so yeah it makes it makes a whole lot of sense as an insurance policy i mean you have to you have to have it if you need you know, you're, if you're a zero-tolerant site, you have to have that insurance policy with a snow removal.
2: And on top of that, there's the liability issue. So, they're shifting liability to the contractor intentionally right in their contract. And so, what does that mean for the contractor? Well, the contractor has to be protected then. So, not only does the contractor need insurance, the con- you, you, you know, if there's any event, we have liability. As a contractor, we're exposed. We have liability there. So um, yeah, there's just when you start really going through all those different talking points, there's a lot there to talk about. Again, a reasonable customer would understand this. They would appreciate it. They go, yeah, this totally makes sense. Unreasonable customer doesn't care because there's some other contractor out in the hallway waiting to come in. And when you leave, that's fine. (laughs) Take them. I'm out. Now, with that being said, I'm I'm being a little facetious here. You know, if you have a, a real nice balanced portfolio and you have different contract mixes and you have a, lots of different types of contracts that have caps and floors and retainers, can can you sustain an unlimited no retainer contract? Of course you can because you've mitigated that risk in a larger portfolio. But if that's all you have, then you're really exposed,
0: I'm sure that's very highly dependent too, about where you're servicing too. I mean, versus you know you know somewhere in Kentucky versus somewhere in New England, it's going to be a huge difference. Maybe that retainer works better.
2: you know, you'd be surprised it it's that you'd be surprised at how contractors um in some of those lower snow areas are able to sell seasonal contracts. You'd be shocked,
0: well, yeah, I would say I would imagine because then maybe you don't get as many snow. Uh, Pure snow events. Maybe you get a lot of mixed events, which, in essence, could even be more dangerous because you have freezing rain and things like that, and refreeze. Versus where you just get a lot of snow, which is you know, are you going to go plow the snow and clean up the snow? Versus where are you are going to get yeah a lot of different events where you can have a lot of icy uh, scenarios.
1: So Brad brings up a good point um, about uh, ice storms and 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 sleet and things like that. Now. Is that something you recommend to your clients to put in some sort of clause about ice storms and 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 those type of things?
2: Yeah, that's one of the big ones, um, and um, you know I think that's that. There's a there's a handful of things that I think are really important that contractors need to get in their contracts. That's one of them to talk about ice specifically because, um, you know, if you think about just the comparison, if you just if you just googled, you know, how many inches of ice does does that equate to an inches of snow? It's a shocking number, right? So, um, I have clients who have who have actually baked that into their their uh, snow totals. So, if there is a an ice event, it actually is cranking up their snow totals significantly for the year toward that seasonal cap um, because of that that formulation. The other way to approach this is is make any ice event completely outside of the contract you know, totally a separate event. It's not a snow event. It's not part of the seasonal totals. Our snow event pricing doesn't apply. It's all TNM. It's just a complete separate animal. It's not included anywhere here in our our contract coverage. Um, So that's one of them, you know, and there's a handful of other ones that I think are really important to get in there, like drifting, uh, responsibility for uh, inspecting properties between events and the liability associated with that, um how you know expectations for daytime operations and and even just decision making uh responsibilities and the liability associated with that so so it, we could probably spend a whole nother podcast doing contract clauses um and actually, I've given um some educational sessions specifically on these contract clauses that really need to be articulated specifically and there, a lot of times they're missing from contracts. Um, and that's one of the first things I do when I start working with someone is go through their contracts and make sure they have all the right language in them.
1: Right. And I mean, I was talking, you know, mainly about, you know, ice and I'm talking about a glaze of ice that goes on everything, but there's times what we have clients calling about sleet. Um, and what we're talking about with sleet, just to clarify that sleet is those little balls of ice. It's basically looks like frozen raindrops that just accumulate on everything. It looks like BBs or ball bearings <laughs> that are really small and it becomes really dense to move and it's really hard to move and it falls off your plow and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so is there a difference there too, that there is a the difference ice form and that dense sleep.
2: If you can define it and there's a, there's a, um, actual definition of something <laughs> like sleet, why wouldn't you, and you know, it's likely it's probably going to happen. Why wouldn't you talk about that in your contract? Explain what it is, explain how you're going to handle it. Is it part of the contract and covered in this, in my pricing, or is it not covered in my pricing? We should be very specific about these things.
1: And I think that's too, where a lot of a lot of people have to educate themselves on what these precipitate. Precipitation types are. I mean, we've done blogs about it. We've done podcasts about the different winter pre- precipitation types um, to explain to people the, what it is, because there's still confusion out there. Uh, is it sleet? Is it hail? You know, what do you mean by freezing rain? You know, uh, what do you mean by uh, a freeze up at night or a refreeze? You know, so we try to educate as much as possible um, what's actually going on here. So they just understand, and they can use that in their contract.
2: Well, in my experience, most property managers don't care what's what what you would call it if it's if it's coming out of the sky and it's making the parking lot icy. You're taking care of it. So in that in that situation, what we need to do is we need to be really smart about those values that we're building into our pricing models, so we have enough occurrences to cover all those events. If we know that we're going to get. Some you know five sleet events a year. Well, we better build that into our pricing,
1: right? And that's something that we try to display too. Our Snowtistics product isn't just about snow; it's about those mixed events too, and about those ice events and how many ice events you may be seeing over the year, so you can plan for that in addition. Um,
0: but um,
1: you know, uh, Phil, we talked about a lot of things here. Um, you know, I think we covered about all our topics that we were planning on today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us here um, before we wrap things up? Because I know we already have podcast three and 4
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> already slated. again. <laughs> I
2: just really appreciate the opportunity. I love to talk about snow. So I'm, I'm, anytime you guys want me to come back, I'll come back. Um, we'll, we'll just but, make uh, a, Phil
0: an honorable uh, co-host. <laughs> that's all.
2: Yeah, there you go.
1: Hey, Phil, thanks a lot for being with us again. I, uh, I really appreciate you coming out. Yeah, appreciate it very much. Absolutely talking about snow contracts and getting more in depth, uh, so people understand snow data and how it relates to their risk. I think it was a really great episode. And, um, again, um, thank you. And, uh, we'll certainly have you on again. Sounds good. Thanks guys. All right. So remember guys, this is the weather lounge and every two weeks we'll have a new podcast. Uh, so please visit back drop us an email at weatherlounge at weatherworksinc.com if you have any suggestions for this, for the show. Just let us know how we're doing or if you have any suggestions for a guest. Also, give us a review. That really helps everything get pushed forward so that more and more people could learn about the Weather Lounge, learn about weather. Visit weatherworksinc.com. That's our parent company. Um, you'll find all about how we service our clients with the weather and also visit us on social media. You can find Weatherworks on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, just about anywhere. Until the next time, this is the Weather Lounge and we'll see you in two weeks.